super genius. What is genius? Putting a man on the moon or inventing the internet. I got a lot of PhD types and smart people around me. The genius. The stroke of genius. Of the crowd. A true musical genius. Nature versus nurture. The way he plays the game, he's just a genius out there in the court. The American dream is being able to make a living with what you are a genius at. When you hear the word genius, who do you think of? Einstein, probably. Mozart, certainly. Da Vinci, maybe. Edison. Uh, maybe you think of your own child as a genius. But we're wondering if, if kids are born as geniuses, is, is it a sort of gift from God? Or is it something that actually develops? And here's a question that's important to all of us. Are there just a few geniuses in the world and throughout history? And the rest of us are kind of doomed to be average. David Shank says, no. He's the author of the new book, The Genius in All of Us, Why Everything You've Been Told About Genetics, Talent, and IQ is Wrong. And uh, David Schenk is here to explain that to, to us. David, we, we've all gone to school. We've learned about how genes work, right? We all learned mm-hmm. the Mendel experiments with the plants yes, and yes. how you have inherited traits. A- and isn't smartness an inherited trait? Well, I've got some really good news. Uh, the, 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 the sad part is that we, the public, are, are really still laboring under a 19th century idea of genes. We're still, it's very understandable that, we're, that we all think this because this is how we're taught. This is how we've been taught in school, that, that Mendel uh, discovered genes by you know, doing these pea plant experiments. And it's true that, that that story is true. But what scientists have, have now understood in, in the century and a half since then is that genes are not robot actors that have this blueprint information that specifies exactly what you are supposed to be uh, as you are grew up. In fact, genes are dynamic. Genes interact with the world around us. So the great news about genes and about our own human potential is that we are not doomed to mediocrity by our genes. We have, we all of us have the potential for greatness if we can muster the resources to get there. That's also bad news if your parents are really smart and you were hoping that was going to carry you through college, right? Uh, we actually spoke <laughs> with Betty Hart. She's a researcher that you actually mentioned in your book. She was trying to figure out what happened in the years before preschool that made some kids better prepared for school. We observed for an hour a day and recorded all the talk that went on. Some parents talked very little to the kids. Some parents talk huge, huge amounts, as you can see from the numbers. I, mean, I talk too much, David, and you're, and you're saying from your research that that's probably good for my kid. Talking is good. Any, any exposure of, of your kids to words, Woo-hoo! reading or, or talking, and the more sophisticated the, the language, actually, that's also going to pay off. This was such an important study. What they found was over four years, the difference between the kids who were going to do well and the kids who were not going to do well is 32 million words spoken. Imagine over, over time, what that, what that amounts to. You're not just talking about genetics. and, and so The book is fascinating in terms of how you talk about the way genetics behave, that they're not set before you're born, that they actually behave differently according to our environment. But the other thing you talked about was IQ and, and what we think we know about IQ. You spoke to a researcher named Jim Flynn, and, and here's what he was talking about uh, IQs for today's uh, society as compared with years before. IQ gains were moving at about three points a decade. Over a hundred years, that would be 30 points, wouldn't it? And if our grandparents were 30 points below us, that would give them an IQ of 70. And 70 is the cutting line for mental retardation. 
And that hardly seemed to make any sense. I, I agree. My <laughs> grandparents were definitely not <laughs> retarded. But uh, what, is the, what is he talking about here? No, what, what he's we're talking about is this remarkable discovery that he made, he made about 30 years ago that we're just only starting to, gr- to grapple with now, that IQ has been improving every decade and every generation in us. And how could that be? Well, there is an, there is an obvious uh, explanation that finally we, we realize is right in front of our noses culture improves IQ. And we're not talking just about national culture. We're talking about any culture. A family culture can improve IQ. Intelligence is not a thing that we are born with. Intelligence is a process, a cumulative gathering of skills that all of us can put together for our children. I was kind of hanging on the fact that my IQ was probably higher than Mozart's. I was thinking that was in my (laughs) favor. So that's probably not true. Mozart became Mozart through a very orderly and interesting process, which I actually talk about in my book. You do talk about yes, that in yes. your book. And let's touch on that just a second, because this is kind of the heart of your book. Mozart was part of a very strong family unit, and his dad had very high expectations from him from the beginning. And he interacted not just with his father, but his sister. But this was a, this was a family that really uh, did things together and, and talked to each other. They did, and Mozart was this, was uh, was a younger uh, sibling of an already ad- advancing musician. His sister Nannerl, his his father was was his had made it his life's work to learn how to teach kids, and started teaching Mozart music from the very very beginning. And another key fact about Mozart that people don't understand is yes, he was composing early in, in quotations, but basically he was just copying other people's works. It took him many decades to produce the wonderful work that we now associate with, which Mozart. is original. That's right. Right, and, and you know the other thing that you, you touch on here, which is a, a message for my son, if he's listening, which is that the age-old adage, the way you get to Carnegie Hall is... Practice, practice, practice. I, I hate to say it, but it's true. Uh, uh, yeah, so Ted Williams, genius, because he, he hit a lot of balls. Mozart played a lot of piano, and Einstein probably did, did a lot of math. And Michael Jordan and Yo-Yo Ma and all the people we think of as great got there through a very, very rigorous process. Not to say that we're all born exactly equal. We all have different advantages, including genetic advantages and disadvantages. But it's all about process, and we need to understand that process okay. better. David Shank is the author of The Genius in All of Us. You can visit our website to read an excerpt of the book, see some audio examples of genius throughout history, and you can send us your questions on the site, thetakeaway.org. David is going to be answering us all this week. Tomorrow we're going to talk to a real-life genius for some perspective on what it means to be great. Sarah Chang, concert violinist, who first picked up the violin at age four. And uh, we're going to be following this all week long. Four. Four. So you know a genius, right? I do know a genius. Not Well, my grandfather was a genius with a capital G. That's universally acknowledged. But i got to say, my significant other, as much as he irritates me sometimes, eats badly and watches too much sports, he's, he's pretty smart. That was the right thing to say. While you're at our site, you can uh, podcast, uh, check out, catch up on our show in the podcast, anything you missed. That's at thetakeaway.org. I'm Miles O'Brien, in for John Hockenberry. And I am Celeste Headley. This is The Takeaway. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.